0: You have been listening to Sermon Audio from Day 3 Church. We invite you to join us for one of our worship services. For more information, visit day3church.com. Listen to the words of Jesus. Jesus says uh, this in Matthew. You serpents you brood of vipers, how will you escape the sentence of hell? That's Jesus talking. He's calling a group of people snakes. Matter of fact, he's calling them a, uh, a whole brood or like a whole nest, a whole generation of poisonous snakes. That's what a viper is that had hatched out, and they were all over the ground. And you might have seen that sometime on National Geographic or something, like a snake den, and they're just snakes all over the place. Jesus is looking at a group of people, and that's what he's calling them, snakes, poisonous snakes that have hatched out, and they're just all over the place. And that sounds pretty bad, but then Jesus keeps on going, and he tells these people that they are underneath the sentence of going to a place called hell. Who in the world is Jesus talking to? I mean, for Jesus, the tender Lamb of God, to be saying words like this, who is He directing this statement toward? I mean, surely must have been a pretty bad group of people, maybe a pretty negative element in society in which that day. Maybe He was talking to the town drunks, or maybe He was talking uh, to the town drug pusher or the drug addict, or surely He must be talking to a bunch of very terrible criminals, maybe somebody that had committed murder or rape or, or you know breaking and entering, stealing, things like that. Surely that must have been who Jesus is talking to. I mean, look at these words. He's looking at a group of people. He calls them snakes, a, a bunch of poisonous snakes, and he says, you're going to hell. Well, the truth of the matter is this. Jesus is talking to religious people. Jesus is talking to people who thought they had it all together. He's talking to a group of people called the scribes and the Pharisees. And the scribes were the ones that had the job day in and day out. They were copying the Old Testament over and over and over again. So they were spending a huge amount of time reading the Bible in writing the Bible, making copies of it for other people to be able to have a scroll of the Bible that they could read over and over and over again. They were being confronted with the Word of God and writing it out. Then the Pharisees, the Pharisees were kind of like the religious elite of that day. They would have thought of themselves in that way. They would have thought of themselves maybe as the, uh, the A-team of religion. Or, you know, delta force of religion in that day of time. That's how they would have viewed themselves. They had a habit of thinking they were better than other people and looking down their nose on people that, you know, weren't like them. And they had this mentality that they wanted everything to look real good on the outside because they were trying to impress people by their religious activity. And they're even dependent upon their own religious activity, their own rules, and jumping through the hoops of their own rules in order to work their way to heaven. That's who the Pharisees were. So so Jesus makes this negative statement to a group of people as he calls them snakes and poisonous snakes and tells them that they're on their way to hell. He's speaking to a group called the Pharisees and the scribes. Now, someone may be thinking because, and and guys, honestly, this isn't my fault. I'm not trying to do it. Uh, But someone may be thinking, well, you know, back when you did the message about friends in the last series and they were trying to get the guy on the bed uh, to Jesus and the Pharisees were just all sitting in the house and they had the door blocked up and, and things like that. And then I think back in our Easter series as we were talking about, uh, you know, Jesus and the way the Pharisees treated him and things like that. So Pharisees have come up a lot lately. So someone may be thinking, you know, do, does, does Pastor Lynn have a Pharisee complex? In other words, is he, you know, just out to get the Pharisees and things like that? Um, you know, all I can tell you is that I'm where God wants me to be right now. I will tell you this. You need to understand something. Jesus said his most scathing comments to the Pharisees, to the religious crowd, to the scribes and the Pharisees than he ever Ever said to the sinners that he was out trying to reach. So I think the fact that Jesus did that, we might ought to sit up and take notice in the church and in this day and time that that's a group that Jesus really made a lot of scathing comments to. Now we're going to be in just a few minutes in, in Matthew uh, 23 and, and pick back up kind of, uh, in the text that I've already read the end of. Uh, that's where we're headed, working toward the message today. But we're going to be in verse 13 through verse 33 today of Matthew 23. But before we do that, uh, what I want you to do is get some background by looking at the very first part of this chapter. And I'm not going to comment a lot about this. I just want to read it to you as background to help you understand Jesus' attitude toward the Pharisees, toward those that thought they could work their way to heaven, toward those that thought they were religiously better, or the religious elite. Before Jesus ever called them, snakes and told them they're on the way to hell look what he said in verse 1 through 7 then jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples the teachers of the law and the pharisees sit in moses seat so you must obey them and do everything they tell you in other words he's saying you need to kind of honor the position but he goes on he says but not but do not do what they do for they do not practice what they preach. They tie up heavy loads and put them on men's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to lift a finger to move them. In other words, they're coming up with all these rules, almost, you know, rules that would crush someone underneath the burden of trying to jump through the hoops in order to make their way to heaven. Jesus said that's the way the Pharisees are. They're putting this big burden of rules upon people, but they themselves won't even lift a finger to try and help move that burden. Look at what Else he says. Everything they do is done for men to see. That was their focus. They make the phylacteries, which was really just something they put on their forehead with Bible verses in it. Uh, They make them wide so people would see them, and the tassels on their garments long so people would see them. And they love the place of honor at banquets and the most important seats in the synagogues. They love to be greeted in the marketplaces and to have men call them rabbi. See, that was their focus, that was their mentality. They were trying to please men and they wanted to look very religious to other people so people would look up to them and all the while they're looking down upon people and putting all these big rules upon them. Now, like I said, we're going to pick up in verse 13 in just a moment, and then I'm just going to read those verses as we go through the message. I'm not going to read them all uh, at one time. Uh, On the screen, we've got the New American Standard uh, updated version today, and still the NIV. I just like the way it uh, said it, so that's what we'll have on the screen in just a minute. The series that we're doing, you're fully aware of, if you've been coming, is this. We're doing a series entitled, You Think It's Hot. And we're not doing this just trying to be coy or cute because July is a hot month. We're doing it for a very real reason, and that is there's a real place called hell. And we need to understand that Jesus said there's a real place called hell. So guys, here's the deal on that. Let me just kind of throw that out front. I I don't care what professor so-and-so might say about it just being a figure, you know, a speech or whatever. If Jesus says it's a real place, I'm going with what Jesus says, okay? I think Jesus knows more about it than than anyone else, no matter how many thud degrees they may have after their name. So I'm just going to believe what Jesus said, that there's a real place called hell. And the purpose of this series is this. If you don't know Christ as your Savior, the reality of a real place called hell ought to wake you up to the fact that you need to put faith in Jesus. You need to trust in what He did on the cross for you when He paid for your sins by dying. So when you do that, you can have everlasting life. If you are already a Christian, it's still a wake-up call, as I said last week, because as Christians, we have friends and family and acquaintances who need to trust in Jesus, who are in danger of going to a place called hell. So we need to wake up and do something about it and try and reach them because of the reality of a place called hell. What we're going to look at today are some woes. Jesus pronounced several woes in this passage of scripture that we're going to read. And I'm going to put these woes in about four main categories. Uh, The word woe is kind of a term of lament. It it means this. It's a primary exclamation of grief. It's like Jesus was heavily grieved over the way these scribes and Pharisees were acting. Uh, it's not just that he is you know, telling them what's what. It's not that he's just looking at them and saying, you're messed up in your focus, you're messed up in what you're doing. It's not like Jesus was just trying to be a holier-than-thou and condemn them, although Jesus is holier-than-thou because he's God in the flesh. It is this. Jesus was actually grieved in his heart because of their approach. Their approach would take them to a place called hell. Their approach was leading others to a place called hell. So that's why Jesus gives this exclamation of grief, these woes, and we're going to break them up into like four main categories this morning. Here's our our first category. Our first category is this, religious, the people like the Pharisees are religious, but they can be a hindrance to the salvation of others. That's a general woe that Jesus gives out. He really gives three that we're going to talk about right here. And each one of those can be fit in this category. You can be religious, but still be a hindrance to the salvation of other people. And that's generally what Jesus says in verse 13 through 15. Let's look at uh, that again. He says, but woe to you, uh, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because you shut off the kingdom of heaven from other people. For you do not enter in yourselves, nor do you allow those who are entering to go in. Now, this next verse, verse 14, is in brackets. And the reason that is the case, in a lot of the manuscripts, verse 14 is not found. In some of the older regional manuscripts, verse 14 is found. Some translations include it. Some translations do not uh, include it. If, uh, if you are reading a translation that includes verse 14, then Jesus gives 8-1. If you're reading one like the NIV that gives seven uh, of the woes, uh, then that's what's there because verse 14 is left out. Maybe there's an illustration that takes place in the number of woes. Seven is the number of perfection or completion. So just maybe Jesus is looking at the Pharisees and the scribes and he's saying, you're completely messed up. Because he says seven times to them this woe. Or, if the version we're using today, the New American Standard, updated version, where it has eight woes included, and the King James had eight woes included in it, maybe it's this, maybe Jesus is saying, you're completely messed up plus one. You know, one to grow on or something. Uh, Because he gives eight woes, depending on the translation that you're looking at. But he goes on, he says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees! Hypocrites, because you devour widows' houses, and for a pretense you make long prayers. Therefore you will receive the greater condemnation. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because you travel around on sea and land to make one proselyte, and when he becomes one, when he becomes your follower and he becomes a proselyte, you make him twice as much a son of hell as yourselves." So let's kind of look at each one of those woes for a minute and see how even religious people can be a hindrance to someone coming to know Christ, to someone being saved and going to heaven one day. First of all, you can be a hindrance when your doctrine is messed up. If your doctrine is messed up, that will be a hindrance to the salvation of other people. Jesus said to these Pharisees and scribes, after he called them hypocrites, he said this, you're shutting off the kingdom of heaven from people. How are they doing that? They were shutting off the kingdom of heaven from others by their doctrine, by having these man-made rules, by trying to make these people think you have to be good enough, you have to do all of this stuff, you have to climb this self-made ladder to heaven, stairway to heaven, in order to get there. And that doctrine is all messed up because nobody can be good enough. He's saying that you're closing the door for other people. And he's saying you don't enter in yourselves, nor do you allow those who are entering to go in. By the rules that they had, by the barriers that they had set up, they were keeping people away From understanding who Jesus is, having the chance to know Jesus, and trust in Jesus, and then be saved. Instead of having a relationship with God, instead of looking for mercy and grace from God, the Pharisees made it look like the way you're right with God is your performance. The way you are right with God is the way that you obey all the rules. You have to obey the law in order to make it to heaven. See, the problem with that is we can't do that. And the Bible says none of us are good. We're going to look at a verse of Scripture in just a moment in Ephesians that we've seen several times. But you need to understand that when someone has the wrong doctrine, it's like you're putting barriers up, keeping people from their salvation, keeping people from trusting in Christ. Now, guys, we can do that in churches still yet today. Churches can have so many man-made rules. They put barriers up against people to where people feel like, well, I don't fit there, so I won't go. Or I can't dress like they do, or I can't act like they do, or I don't really look like they do. So, you know, I, I just don't feel comfortable in going. If we're not careful, we can put barriers up ourselves. If we're not careful, if we're not clear in our doctrine, we can make it sound like sometimes in churches that, yes, Jesus died for you on the cross, but you have to do all the stuff we want you to do before you can really be right with God. And see, it doesn't work like that. Look at what Ephesians tells us. For it's by grace you've been saved. Now, I know you're thinking, well, he's read that a lot lately in some of the series we've been in. You'll probably hear it a lot if you hang around here because it's just true scripture that we need to really have embedded in our minds. He says, it's by grace. In other words, by unmerited favor, there's not any work you can do. There's not any way you can deserve to be saved. He says, it's for by grace you've been saved through faith, not by works. He says it's through faith. And this not from yourselves, the grace and the faith that you have is not from yourselves. God gives that to you as a gift. It's a gift of God. And then he clarifies all that, and he says, not by works, so that no one can boast. If it were possible to work your way to heaven, you'd boast and brag about it. And that's the mentality that the scribes and the Pharisees had that Jesus is talking to. That they thought they could earn their way to heaven by good works. This Bible verse here and other Bible verses we could pull up tell us that's completely impossible. You cannot be saved by good works. Now let me add an addendum to that before someone takes off in the wrong direction also and think you've got a license to live however you want to live. We don't do good works in order to be saved, but after we're saved we ought to do good works because we love Jesus. There is an obligation upon our lives to serve Him and to do good works. The problem in people's doctrine is they get the cart before the horse and they're trying to teach, well, you do this, do this, do this, do this, do this in order to go to heaven. Above the Ten Commandments, in order to go to heaven. Jump through all of our hoops in order to go to heaven. It's not by works because people would boast and brag about it. It's impossible to be saved by works, but on the other side of salvation, we ought to love the Jesus that suffered for us on the cross so much that we have a desire a motivation that drives us to serve him, that drives us to have good works. But see, there's a big difference between those two. So Jesus, first of all, he's given a woe to these Pharisees and scribes because their doctrine's all messed up. It's like they were saying, you have to do what we tell you to do. You have to jump through all of our hoops in order to be able to go to heaven and doctrine when people are being taught wrong doctrine wrong doctrine blockades the way of someone coming in to a real relationship with jesus especially if someone is teaching works religion and not focusing on grace and what jesus did on the cross if they make it about what they are doing instead of what jesus has done it's messed up and it will not lead people to salvation so we can be a hindrance as a pharisee or even as a believer today, if you're not careful, you'll be a hindrance to people experiencing salvation by your doctrine. But Jesus also accuses these scribes and Pharisees of being a hindrance to the salvation of others by the example that they were setting, not just their doctrine, but also by their example. He says, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because you devour widows houses and for a pretense you make long prayers therefore you will receive the greater condemnation now evidently by what jesus is saying here he's given a woe a statement of of condemnation to these pharisees and scribes because they must have been doing something to take advantage of widows you know, I don't know what it was. Maybe they had a telephone going and they were saying, you know, send us, you know, the, uh, the deed to your house or whatever. Uh, you know, sell your car and send your money to us, whatever the case is. And, and their, their focus was wrong and it was twisted. But it seems like by what Jesus says, they were doing some things to take advantage of widows. Uh, Maybe trying to get their homes, trying to get their finances, whatever it is. But Jesus has an accusation here against them saying that there's a woe that I'm proclaiming against you because you are devouring widows' houses. Not just that. He even gets on to them about their prayer life. He says, for a pretense, you make long prayers. In other words, their motive in praying was this pretense. They wanted to pray a long, eloquent prayer so everyone that heard it would think, my, how spiritual. You know, my, how, how wonderful that person is. Listen to that long, eloquent, beautiful prayer that they pray. Now, guys, there's not anything wrong with long prayers. The Bible tells us to pray without ceasing. They have an attitude of prayer all the time. There's not anything wrong with someone being able to pray eloquent prayers unless their motive is, instead of talking to God, they want other people to hear them. They want other people to be impressed by them. And Jesus gives them a woe because of that, because of the the example that they're setting. You see, wrong doctrine will produce wrong disciples. Wrong examples will produce wrong disciples. Types of disciples wrong doctrine will hinder the salvation of people wrong examples will hinder the salvation of people and here's why when we proclaim to be religious like the pharisees were proclaiming to be religious in essence you're saying this i know god i know the way to god so you need to follow me and listen to what i say and do what i do so if you are given the wrong doctrine and the wrong example and you're getting people to follow you, you're leading them in the wrong direction. Instead of leading them into a relationship with Christ, if you're acting like the Pharisees of that day and time, you're leading them away from a relationship with Christ because you're saying, we're religious, we know the light. You know, follow us and we'll take you to the light. And instead, you're walking into darkness because you're dependent upon yourself and your own good works instead of depending upon Jesus. So we need to understand that wrong doctrine will hinder the salvation of other people. Wrong examples, if we give wrong examples, will hinder the salvation of others. And there's also, though, this third hindrance in verse 15, this third woe that Jesus gives out, and it's a hindrance of wrong disciples. He says, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. We'll talk about the word hypocrite later in the message. I know it's already popped up three times, but we'll get there in a few minutes. He says, Woe to you, Scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because you travel around on sea and land to make one proselyte. And when he becomes one, you make him twice as much a son of hell as yourselves. Wow. Man, that's a serious statement, isn't it? See, religious people make religious disciples. Legalistic people make legalistic disciples. And if you're setting the wrong example making people think they can be right with God by works, they're going to become a disciple that will also teach other people that the way you become right with God is by your works, by your behavior, by your performance, and what you do. One proselyte, he said. It almost sounds impressive, doesn't it? Look at what they're doing. They're traveling all around the sea and the land. Man, they're doing all they can to make one proselyte. you know what a proselyte was? A proselyte was not the sinners, the drunkards and the gluttons that they accused Jesus of hanging out with. A proselyte was someone that was already involved in Judaism. But these Pharisees and and scribes that Jesus is talking to would go and try and get them kind of out of where they were in Judaism over into their part of Judaism. It would be the equivalent today of this, guys. It would be the equivalent of the focus of day three church trying to go to somebody else's church and intentionally steal members away from that church and bring them here instead of our focus being upon reaching lost people. That's what it would be the equivalent of. Now, I understand, we've had people come here from other churches. Can I tell you something? I have never gone after them one time, neither has Darrell. If God sends somebody here, thank God for it, but we have not gone out after them. And the focus of this church and any church doesn't need to be, let's see if we can get a member from over here, you know, from over there to come over here to our place. Our focus needs to be there are people out there lost and dying and going to hell without Jesus. And we need to get them in here. We need to get them inside the doors of this church so they can hear about Jesus and they can have a relationship with Jesus. But it initially sounds impressive. They're going all over the place trying to make a proselyte. The problem is this. Once they make the proselyte, Jesus says, once he becomes one of your pharisaical followers, you are making him twice as much the son of hell as yourselves. They didn't help them get to God. They didn't help them experience salvation. They didn't help them move from the place of being a sinner to where they're on their way to heaven. Jesus said, you've made them twice as much the son of hell as the scribes and the Pharisees were. And the word he uses for hell here is the word Gehenna that we've already seen in this series. He's talking about the hell for all eternity. Wrong doctrine, that's the first woe that Jesus gives. Wrong doctrine taught to people, and if they don't know any better, will condemn them to hell. I don't care how much they go to church, how much they read their Bible, I don't care how much they think they're doing for Jesus, if they think it is about them and their good works, wrong doctrine condemns people to hell. Wrong examples can lead people toward hell. And we produce wrong disciples when we do that. That's why Jesus proclaims this woe against these religious people because they are hindering the salvation of others. Instead of making disciples to follow Jesus, they're making disciples to follow themselves. And when Jesus said you make disciples to follow yourselves, you're making them twice as much the son of hell as you are. That's serious stuff he's talking about. That's the first category of woes. Second category of woes involves this. You can be religious but still have wrong values. Religious with wrong values. Jesus looked at the Pharisees and the scribes and he gives the first set of woes, those first three, because they were hindering people from experiencing real salvation by their doctrine and by their example. And that was producing messed up disciples, more legalistic disciples. Now Jesus looks at this same group of people that he calls snakes and that he tells them they're on their way to hell. That first verse that we saw this morning, he looks at them now and he's giving them some more woes because they're religious, but they're religious with the wrong values. Their values are all messed up. You can be religious, and understand something, guys. When I say religious, you need to realize there's a distinction between religion and... In a relationship with Jesus. Christianity, and if anyone ever tries to tell you Christianity is a religion, Christianity is not a religion. Religion is man trying to work his way up to God or trying to reach God through his own good works. That's what religion is in people's mindset most of the time. That's how religion works out. Christianity is this. God reached down to where we are. God sent his son down for us. Not us trying to attain a way that we can get to heaven ourselves. Religious people, someone that has this attitude that they are pleasing God by their own performance, many times they're going to have wrong values in their lives. And that was true of the scribes and the Pharisees that Jesus is talking to. They had wrong values, first of all, in the area of riches. In the area of riches. Look at these verses. Look what's said here. Woe to you, blind guides, who say, whoever swears by the temple, that's nothing, that doesn't really matter, doesn't mean anything. But whoever swears by the gold of the temple is obligated. You fools, you blind men, which is more important, the gold or the temple that sanctified the gold? And whoever swears by the altar That is nothing. But whoever swears by the offering on it is obligated. Look at what Jesus is saying in those verses. He says, you blind men, he goes on and he says, which is more important? The offering or the altar that sanctifies the offering? Therefore, whoever swears by the altar, swears both by the altar and by everything on it. And whoever swears by the temple, swears both by the temple and by him who dwells within. Talking about God. And whoever swears by heaven, swears both by the throne of God and by him who sits on it. Look how messed up their values, their set of values are. Their value was this. The gold... The gift is more important than the temple or the altar, either one. In other words, if if you go swear by the temple itself, that's not really important. But if you swear by the gold, by the money. Guys, do you realize how many churches make it more about the money than they do the ministry? Now, understand something clearly. God tells us to tithe, and we're supposed to tithe. And I'll tell you up front, if everyone that attended Day 3 Church would tithe, we would have no problem doing all the ministry that God wants us to do. God tells us to tithe. But for us to have the focus that our bank account is more important than the souls of people is a doctrine out of the pit of hell. It can't be about the money. And that's what their focus was about. Jesus said, You're messed up in your value concerning riches. It's like the money's more important than the ministry, than the temple. And he's condemning them for that. He's calling them because they have that type of attitude. Jesus calls them blind guides. The word for blind means opaque, as though it was smoky. By analogy, it means someone that's blind, either physically or mentally. The word guide means a conductor in the Greek, someone that's a leader, someone that's a teacher. Let I me mean, think about that a minute. If you're wanting to follow somebody, and in this particular case, you're trying to follow someone that's going to help you miss hell and get to heaven, do you want to follow somebody that's blind? <laughs> somebody that can't see? God, I don't know a blind person is going to be too good of a guide. And someone that is spiritually blind, that's what Jesus is accusing these groups are of, if they are spiritually blind... I don't know I want to be trying to follow them, trying to think I'll get to heaven by following them, because they're in the dark spiritually still. That's what Jesus is saying. He calls them blind guides, blind men. They're they're wanting to be leaders and teachers, but Jesus said they're blind, and we need to be careful about following them. They were blind to what was most important. They were more focused on the riches than they were what was really, truly important. You see, here's the deal, if, if you look at it in the right perspective. The only thing that sanctified, this is what Jesus said, the only thing that sanctified the gold or made the gold holy was the temple. But you need to keep following the progression out. The only thing that makes the temple holy is God. The temple was just a building if it were not for God. His presence in that temple in that day and time, when God still dwelt in the temple, was what made it important. When God dwelt in the tabernacle, that's what made it a special place. If you're a Christian, the only thing that makes you special is God living in you because you've trusted in Jesus. The only thing that makes us set apart and holy to God is that God is living in us. But these men had really messed up values. That's why Jesus is calling them blind guides, because they were completely messed up. They thought, oh, you know, let's swear on the gold and that means something. Swear on the temple don't really mean anything. What made the gold special was the temple. What made the temple special was God. What made the thing, the gift that was placed on the altar special was the altar. What made the altar special was God. You need to understand that. The gift or the temple or the altar or the gold, none of that meant anything. None of that was special. None of it was sanctified. None of it was set apart. None of it was holy except for God. So their focus is wrong. See, he, used, he explained what sanctified was. He used the word sanctified, and, and the word sanctified means to make holy. To make holy. And God's the one that makes things holy. Not us, not the temple, not the gold, not the altar. Really, if you read into this, everything that Jesus is saying, he's saying this. You don't need to focus on the gold You don't even need to focus on the building. You don't need to focus on the altar. You don't need to focus on the gift that's on the altar. Your focus, your value needs to be on God. On the fact that God is what makes a difference. God is the one that's holy. God is the one that changes things. God is the one that changes lives. And because they had all these messed up values, Jesus called them fools. Fools. Look what the word fool means. Moros. we get our uh, English word moron from it. It means dull or stupid, it's just shut up, heedless. It means morally to be a blockhead. You ever call anybody a blockhead? Yeah, that's what Jesus called this group of people. You bunch of blockheads. You're, you're stupid, you're dull, you don't understand things, you've got it all twisted, your values are wrong. You think swearing upon the gold and everything's really important, but all that's messed up. That's wrong. That's not what your focus should be. And you want to know what was really twisted about their values? Here's a little background to this that I found when I studied in this passage of Scripture that really shows you how messed up their values were. They came up with this mentality, this system, of swearing upon the gold instead of the temple because they thought if they swore upon the temple or the altar... They were obligated to do it. So they thought, we'll still sound spiritual. We'll still have something we'll swear on. We'll swear on the gold or on the gift. And that'll still sound like it's spiritual because it's connected to the temple. But since it's one step further away from God, I'm going to swear on the gold instead of the temple. And that way, if I decide to break my vow, I have an out. That's how twisted their values were. That's where they said, oh, it don't matter if you really, you know, it's not a big thing to swear on the temple, but now if you swear on the gold, and they were playing mental games to where they thought, all right, if I swear on the gold, it's not as big as swearing on the temple. It's one step further away from the presence of God. It's not as big as swearing upon God, so it won't matter if I break my vow. The problem is, Jesus said, the Bible says, you better keep your foot when you come to the house of God, because if you make a vow, God expects you to keep it. And Jesus more or less says here, there's no vow that you can make that doesn't attach itself to God when it comes to a spiritual basis. He's saying the temple, the altar, the gold, the gift, the throne of God, heaven, guess what? It's all connected to God. Their values were messed up. Not only were their values messed up in riches, their values were also messed up when it came to righteousness. Righteousness. Jesus said, woe. To you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. For you tithe mint and dill and coming. Now, in the Bible, there's no direct command anywhere to tithe mint and dill and coming, as far as being just by itself, tithe these things. They would tithe of the agriculture. They were supposed to tithe of their increase. But they're not told specifically to tithe in these small increments. And here's the deal. They were focusing on small stuff, tithing the mint, the dill, and the cumin. Jesus said, you've neglected the bigger stuff. You've neglected the weightier provisions of the law. You're focused on the small stuff, like tithing mint and dill and cumin, just a little spices. You're focused on that. Thinking you're jumping through legalistic hoops that will make you look good in front of other people. The problem is, Pharisees, he's saying this you have left off justice. Mercy and faithfulness. He said, but these things are the things you should have done without neglecting the others. Jesus is not condemning necessarily the fact that they were tithing of the mint and the dill and the coming, those spices. He's not condemning them because they were doing that. He's condemning them because they were doing that and not the big stuff. They're focusing on the little stuff and not the big stuff. And guys, if we're not careful in our lives as Christians in a church, as a church ministry, if you're not careful, you'll start majoring on the minors and minoring on the majors and get things completely twisted. And that's what Jesus is getting on to them about. He's saying, look, the big stuff you needed to be doing. You needed to be focusing on justice, treating people right, on mercy, having compassion in your heart for other people. You need to be focused on faithfulness and on your faith instead of just these legalistic things of being sure that you tithe these little bit of spices and patting yourself on the back because you tithe all the way down into these little bitty increments. He said you have missed the fact that you need to have justice and mercy and faithfulness. And guys, in the ministry of a church and in the ministry of our own lives, we better not forget justice and mercy or compassion and faithfulness. That's the big stuff that God's looking for. You're not impressing Him with the other stuff. Now, break that down and apply it to us. You can tithe every penny that you make and still miss God's focus for your life. By failing to have justice and mercy and faithfulness active in your life. You can tithe on every red cent that you get. And never ever use any of your time or your talents to help somebody else. To be compassionate or show compassion to somebody else. And God could care less that you tithe on every red penny when you won't raise your hand to help somebody in need. You won't raise your hand to minister to somebody else. That's really what he's saying there. You're focused on all this small stuff. But there are people that need justice. There are people that need mercy. There are people that need to see faithfulness in bigger areas. And you're focused on the small stuff. You can obey every legalistic rule and not practice justice and mercy and faithfulness and be very displeasing to God. We can be very precise in giving 10% of our income at church but still miss God's will if we fail to have compassion in our hearts for other people. If we fail to have mercy. Guys, as a church, we need to be sure we remember this. People are more important than money. And if you want to write that down somewhere and put it in your car, on your refrigerator, wherever you, where you'll remember that, that better always be our focus. People are more important than money. Now, don't someone go off and twist what I said. Oh, the pastor said we didn't really have to tithe as long as we are interested in people. It takes money for us to minister to people, okay? God tells us to tithe, but that cannot be our focus. I have tithe. Look at me. Look how great I am. Man, I'm on the A team for God. Look how great I am because I tithe. And you're not doing one thing trying to reach somebody for Jesus, trying to show compassion or have justice or practice faithfulness in your life. That's the issue God's talking about. That's the issue that Jesus raises here. People are more important than money. They're also messed up so much in their values That Jesus says this to them. You blind guides who strain at a gnat and swallow a camel. (laughs) That's a pretty extreme illustration, isn't it? And, And Jesus speaks in the Aramaic here and he does a play on words in the Aramaic because the word for gnat and the word for camel are pretty similar. And the issue is this. What Jesus is saying, you see, the Pharisees had a practice that they would strain, they would filter their wine to be sure that they got out any gnats that might have landed in it while the wine was being made. So they would be sure they would filter it so in the process of drinking their wine, they wouldn't swallow a gnat, which was considered an unclean insect. So they're there meticulously looking for gnats in the wine. And Jesus said, "Why you're so focused on the small stuff, you swallowed a camel. <laughs> and the camel was also an unclean animal. And the camel was the largest animal in that part of the area in the Middle East. So Jesus said, you're focused on this little minute thing, thinking that makes you okay with God. And you're missing the bigger issue over here of justice and mercy. Say so you're focused on something very small, and the whole time you're swallowing a camel. Guys, we need to avoid that. You need to avoid that in your life. Our church needs to avoid that. All ministries, churches need to avoid that. And God help us. Sometimes we fall prey to it because we come up with so many incremental rules that we'll come up with that we're looking at the gnats. And while we're so focused on the gnats, there's a big camel over here that's causing all kinds of problems. And we're ignoring the camel. We're swallowing the camel down. And we're just focused upon this little bitty gnat. Third category of woes that Jesus gives is this. The first category dealt with being religious but hindering people from salvation. The second category of woes that Jesus talks about in this passage of Scripture deals with having the wrong set of values. Thirdly, Jesus gives a woe that talks about this. He tells the Pharisees, You're religious. On the outside, you want to act like you're religious. You want other people to think that you're religious. You want to appear godly to people. But he said, on the inside, you are filled with hypocrisy. Look how how he describes this in these verses Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. For you clean the outside of the cup and of the dish, but inside, They are full of robbery and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup or the dish so that the outside of it may become clean also. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, For you are like whitewashed tombs, which on the outside appear beautiful, but inside they are full of dead men's bones and all uncleanness. So you too outwardly appear righteous to men, but inwardly you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. See, in those verses, Jesus gives two big illustrations. Before that, he calls them hypocrites again i told you we would bring it up he it's seven times he calls them hypocrites in this passage of scripture here's what the word hypocrite means it means an actor under an assumed character the way we do movies and stage plays today and you know, all you have a whole lot of actors with the ability to act and good voices and you know whatever the roles they can play in that day and time in, in the greek culture what this is describing is this you would have just a few actors who would help carry the play out and they would put a mask on. They'd go off stage and put a mask on and the same actor would come out and play a different role. So you've got people who are putting masks on and just kind of changing their outer appearance. That's the idea of a hypocrite, an actor under an assumed character, a stage player. The root word means to speak or to act under a false part or a false pretense to be a pretender, Jesus seven times in this passage of scripture calls them hypocrites. Seven is the number, biblical number of completion or perfection. Jesus saying you're really hypocrites. He's saying as big time as you can be, you're hypocrites. You're completely, perfectly hypocrites, as he uses it seven times in this passage of scripture. They were just acting out a role. They wanted to impress other people around them. That's why they're acting out this role. And to describe that, Jesus uses two big illustrations. The first illustration Jesus uses, He talks about cups and dishes. We read the verses a moment ago. He said, you clean the outside of the cup, and the inside of the cup and the dish is still nasty. Now think about... The mentality of that, the logic of that. How many of you would like to go eat in someone's home? And while you're eating in someone's home, you walk in and there's the china cabinet, and you know, does you see the side of the bowls and the side of the cups? And man, it all looks pristine, it looks beautiful. And then they pull it all out and they set the table and get ready for you to sit down and eat. And as you walk over to the table, you can see the sides of all this wonderful looking. Dishes and and cups they have out. And when you get close enough and you look down inside, it's nasty. It's not been washed the last hundred times they used it. They just washed the outside. We should have done a living illustration today. I should have said, guys, we're going to feed you a meal upstairs. After we're done, and I should have taken you upstairs and had nasty plates on the inside. I mean, would not that affect your appetite a little bit? A pastor friend of mine that pastored up in the mountains in Wills County years ago was out visiting, and the family invited him to eat, so he sat down to eat with them, and he's sitting at the table, and uh, while they were eating, you know, one of the kids sneezes, and out comes some snot, and, and the kid does this, you know, and wipes his, across his arm, and the mother fusses at him and says, Don't do that. Say, so Get that dish rag over there and wipe your nose. The dish rag. My friend thought, I don't know if I want to eat or not. That's the mentality of these Pharisees. They wanted the outside to look really good. the problem with having the outside clean, the inside was filled with corruption. He, He said extortion, robbery, things like that. That's what was on the inside. You might look pretty on the outside, but on the inside you're corrupt. So Jesus said, what you ought to do is this, wash the inside first, and then wash the outside. I mean, practically, think about the logic of that. You know, if, if you're washing dishes by hand, and we don't do that anymore, we've all bought dishwashers, and we just shove them in, you know, and, and we depend upon that. But think back when you used to have to do it the old-fashioned way. If you are to wash the outside of the bowl or the cup first, and then wash the dirty part inside, what's going to happen? When you wash the dirty part inside last, the dirtiness that you just tried to wash on the inside is going to get over on the outside that you've already cleaned. So you would wash the inside first, rinse that out, wash the outside and everything, and that way you really have a clean vessel. And and guys, what Jesus is saying is this we need to let him clean us from the inside out. It doesn't work the opposite way. Some people think if I just change my behavior, if I can straighten up my life on the outside, everything will be great. The problem with that is this, the inside is going to spill out and make the outside dirty. The only hope you have of having a clean life is to get Jesus in your heart, trust in Him, let Him clean you from the inside out, and what happens on the inside will affect the outside. It doesn't work the other way. So Jesus uses this illustration about how these Pharisees were acting. They were wanting to clean the outside because they wanted people to be impressed by the outside. But on the inside, they had corruption in their hearts. Jesus used a second illustration here. He talks about tombs or graves also. We read the verses a moment ago. He says, woe to the scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. And he said, here's what you're like. You're like a grave that looks pretty on the outside it's been whitewashed on the outside they had a practice in that day and time where they would take lime and wash the outside of the the tombs trying to make them look pretty sometimes they would do this sometimes when Passover was coming and people would be traveling in pilgrims, Jewish followers would be coming in from all outside the area who would not know where all the graves were and if they touch a grave they'd be unclean and they couldn't participate in the Passover what they would do is this they would go out and take line and they put a white marking on the outside of the tombs so people would not from the outside of the area that did not know where the graves were accidentally step on a grave or touch one and then be unclean and not be able to partake of the passover so that's part of the practice that they were doing or sometimes they were just trying to make the grave look good, taking lime and white, washing it on the outside. Jesus said the problem with that is it's still a tomb, it's still a grave, and on the inside there's corruption. There are dead men's bones rotting on the inside of the tomb. And all you're trying to do is dress up the outside. And inside, you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. And the word full means literally swelling out. And Jesus is accusing them of just being interested in how the outside looked when on the inside, their hearts were not right. That's why Jesus had so much negative stuff to say to the Pharisees. Guys, how does this apply to us today? Here's how it applies to us. If your focus in your life Concerning God is that you want to put on a fake display on the outside. be a hypocrite, put on a fake display. be like a cup that's clean on the outside and on the inside is nasty. Be like a grave that's whitewashed on the outside on the inside is rotten in bones. If your focus is you just want to be looking good on the outside so other people will think good of you, your relationship with God is screwed up. Here's why. You can put on the show on the outside and you might can fool some people part of the time. The old saying is you can't fool everybody all the time. Because sooner or later what's on the inside is going to pop on the outside. But the real deal with that is this. It doesn't matter how much you dress out the outside. God sees right into your heart. He knows what is there. And that's why Jesus goes to this length to put down, to, to put in place the actions of the scribes and the Pharisees because they were snowballing and misleading a whole culture of people to follow them. And they were going to follow them all the way to a place called hell because the last woe that Jesus gives here is this Jesus gives a woe to this group of people because they might have been religious, but they were condemned. Look at what he says. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. For you build the tombs of the prophets and adorn the monuments of the rich. More exterior stuff they were doing, trying to look good to other people. And you say this, well, if we'd just been alive, when our fathers were alive, our forefathers were alive, and they were persecuting the prophets and killing the prophets and things like that, well, if we'd just been alive then, we would not have been a partner with them. We would not have participated. We would not have helped kill the prophets. We're much better than they were. If we'd been alive then, it wouldn't have been like that. We wouldn't have helped them do it. And they think by saying that, they're kind of better bettering themselves, <laughs> Look at what Jesus says. So you testify against yourselves that you are the sons of those who murdered the prophets. So it didn't impress Jesus. Oh, we wouldn't have done it, Jesus, had we been back then. We wouldn't have done it. Jesus said, no, but you just admitted you're the sons of the ones that did it. And then he tells them to fill up the measure of the guilt of your father's and then he says, the statement that we started out with, that we've been working back to through this whole message, you serpents, you brutal vipers, how will you escape the sentence of hell? Look at some of the words he used here in the will close. The word fill up means to make full or to cram a net full. Room for a few more fish in the net. It means to level up a hollow place. Going to fill it in with dirt. Jesus looks at these Pharisees and scribes who are claiming we wouldn't have been like them. He said, hey, you just identified yourself with them, that they're your fathers, you're their offspring. So why don't you just go ahead, doing what you're doing, acting like you're acting, cleaning the outside, not the inside, being religious hypocrites. Just keep doing that and go ahead and fill up that judgment that's waiting. Level it up. Then he calls them serpents or snakes The word literally means sharpness of vision. (laughs) I think Jesus did that as a play on words also because he's been calling them blind guides all the way through the text. They think they can see. They think they have a sharpness of vision. The word also means sly and cunning, an artfully malicious person. It is also a word in the Bible that is used for Satan. He looks at the religious crowd and he calls them Satan. And he says, how are you going to escape the sentence, the judgment, that's what the word means literally, of hell? The eternal, everlasting hell. After everyone is brought up before the judgment seat, Someone dies lost right now, they go to a place called Hades, the hell for now. The only hope they ever have of getting out of a place called Hades is to appear at the judgment seat. And then they're at the judgment seat long enough to be condemned and cast in to Gehenna, the lake of fire, the hell for all eternity where there is no escape. Next week we're going to focus upon hell, don't go there. And I'm going to tell you up front, if you have some lost friends or lost family members, you need to do all you can to get them to come next week. Because the biblical concept of hell is not the general concept that people have in their mind. not going to be a place of party. not going to be a place of fun. It's not going to be a place where you can think, well, my friends are going there. I might as well go there too, and we'll just have... You know, we'll just be in hell together for all eternity like it's going to be, you know, you know, some type of reunion and have a party. Let's sit down. We'll have a reunion in hell. We'll eat fried chicken. There'll be some stuff fried. It won't be chicken. And it's going to cook forever. And you're going to feel it forever. Guys, Jesus... says this statement that I first read that we just looked at. When he calls the religious people snakes and vipers, poisonous snakes that are on their way to hell. Jesus says this to people who are dependent upon their own religious activity instead of trusting in him. Instead of accepting him as the Messiah. Oh, he had not been to the cross yet, but guys... He had performed enough miracles in their presence that they should have known who He was. The scribes that had been reading the Bible over and over and copying the Bible over and over and over and over and over over again should have known who He was when He showed up. The Pharisees that thought they were so religious should have known who He was. He'd given abundant evidence who He was. But instead, they're trusting in their own Religious activity. And Jesus says, someone that trusts in their own religious activity is going to spend eternity in hell. So, are you religious? Are you religious this morning? Are you dependent upon who you are? Are you dependent upon your own perceived goodness Are you dependent upon your own religious acts, whatever they might be, that you think you can perform in order to get yourself into heaven? Because if you are, I've got some really, really, really bad news for you, and it's not my opinion, it's a verdict that Jesus gives. You will go to hell for all eternity. So, where are you in this? Do you know for sure? that you've trusted in Jesus? Are you dependent upon yourself and your own abilities and your own works? Are you dependent upon reading your Bible? Because if you think you read your Bible every day, you'll go to heaven. Are you dependent upon tithing? Because if you tithe, surely God will open the gates of heaven and let you in because you gave God some money. I want to remind you of something. It's all His. Are you dependent upon the fact that you show up in church faithfully, that that's going to get you into heaven. You see, if you're dependent upon that, plus anything else you might can come up with, if that's all you're dependent upon, you'll go to hell forever. The only hope you have is to trust in Jesus Christ. The only hope you have is to receive God's grace. We saw that in Ephesians. Through faith. It's not of works because you'd be Tempted to brag about it is completely through the finished work of Jesus on the cross. So, are you religious? Are you dependent upon yourself in your works? Or are you dependent upon Jesus in his works? See, guys, it really boils down to this. Are you religious or have you been redeemed by the blood of Jesus? Let's pray. Father. Lord, I I understand that uh, you're the one that knows all hearts. So, Lord, we ask you this morning to just open every heart to the individual. God, help people to clearly evaluate and look inside. And see if they really have a relationship with you. God, help people to honestly evaluate this morning. If they have been trusting in Jesus and what He did on the cross. Or if they have been trusting in their own religious acts. Their own perceived good works. God, wake anyone up this morning that's trusting in their own religiosity and help them to understand that Jesus looked at a group of religious people who were dependent upon their own religious activity and He gave several statements of woe to them. And Jesus told them that they were going to hell forever if that's where they stayed. If they kept trusting in themselves and in their own goodness instead of trusting in Him. Father, if there's someone here today doing that, help them right now to say yes to Jesus. For it's in His name I pray. Head still bowed just for a moment before the band mm-hmm. plays. It's really a common thing for people at church to have somehow felt like they jumped through a hoop that got them to heaven without really knowing Jesus. Some people just walked up during vacation Bible school with a group of their friends because it seemed like the thing to do in that moment. And they never, ever really met Jesus. Some people think because they walked an aisle during invitation and shook a preacher by the hand and and just, you know, he led them in a prayer of some type, and yet they didn't understand it. They they didn't really understand their, their problem was their sin, and they could not say themselves. And somehow people will even think, well, if I join the church and become a member of the church, then they'll help me and I'll I'll go to heaven. Listen, multitudes of people do that. And some people will recognize it later. And out of pride in their heart, they will refuse to admit it. Please don't let pride keep you from Jesus. Jesus. And this morning, if you don't know for sure that you've depended upon Jesus and what He's done instead of depending upon yourself, I would not leave this place because you're in danger of a place called hell. Daryl and myself will be here at the front. All who know right now without any shadow of a doubt that you know Christ is your Savior. And no one looking around but me and God. If you know without a shadow of a doubt, Jesus is your Savior, will you raise your hand? Now, I just saw a group of hands go up, and you put your hands down. I didn't look close enough to see if someone did not bring their hand up, but you know yourself if you could not raise your hand. And if you could not, and you realize you need to know Jesus, Daryl, myself, here at the front, we would love to tell you about Him. Father, use this time for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You are listening to Sermon Audio from Day 3 Church. If you have any questions about God, faith, or our church, email us at info at dayfreechurch.com. And for more information, find us on the web at dayfreechurch.com.